0: This is an AMI podcast.
1: Hello there, I'm Stephen Scott, blind tech user and host of Double Tap Canada on AMI-audio. If you're new to assistive tech or an old pro like me, you're going to want to tune in. Listen for hardware reviews, app previews and witty tech-related banter. Give Double Tap Canada a try. Find us on whatever podcasting platform you prefer.
0: I'm Juwita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. An in person concert almost feels like a distant dream. There's something marvelous about being in a room full of people, watching a play, or taking in a concert. Artists and performers have been hard hit during the pandemic. As venues have been forced to close, eliminating live concerts, plays, and performances, many performers have been forced to adapt. The pandemic will have devastating and multi-layered impacts on artists and arts organizations, both in the short and long term. Despite all the bad news, artists have proved extremely resilient, putting on novel online concerts, trying to keep Audience engagement alive and further their craft even with the odds stacked against them. Today we discuss artists and COVID 19. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello. And welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Chuita Gupta, and I'm the host of the program. I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you're keeping safe, you're staying connected, you're looking after yourself. We are now so many months into COVID-19, we sometimes lose track of just how long it's been. But one of the highlights of my time pre-COVID was an incredible house concert that I had a chance to attend where I live in Toronto. Uh, I'd never been to a house concert before. I was a little nervous about going into someone's home, sitting in their living room, listening to someone play the piano. But I had heard of Michael Arnouet before. He had performed at a benefit concert for Balance for Blind Adults. And I had been so impressed by him as a performer that I decided I would swallow my discomfort Give this house concert a chance and met up with not only Michael and his amazing team of collaborators, but also his wonderful partner, Teresa Rogers. And on my way out the door, this was days before the lockdown in Ontario, the first one, I said to Michael, You know, Michael, I would love to interview you on The Pulse. And I said that to Michael, I left, we had the lockdown, and months went by. And so finally, Almost a year after that conversation with Michael, I am pleased to welcome Michael Arnouet to The Pulse. Hello and welcome. It's so good to finally be having this conversation with you.
1: Uh, Thanks, Shweta. Looking forward to it.
0: And you said to me at the time when we spoke in your living room before COVID-19 that, you know, one of the people you really should talk to is my wife. She's a wonderful person with a fascinating story. And I said, oh, I love talking to wonderful people with fascinating stories. And so I'm also pleased to welcome to the program Teresa Rogers. Hello, Teresa.
2: Hello. Thanks so much for having us both on.
0: It's great to have you. And Teresa wanted me to introduce her as an African-American textile artist. And Michael, of course, is a pianist uh, and a creator and a composer. Both of you are such wonderful people doing such incredible work. Tell me a little bit, Michael, about what you've been up to since that house concert in your living room in Toronto. How have you held up during the pandemic?
1: Well, it's it's, it's been tough. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, I solely do performance for the public and for well for schools and art galleries and all sorts of other places as well but performing is all i do um so i don't have a a teaching gig to rely on for income so it has been difficult but some of the things i've been doing i've been trying to do some writing about music for a probable forthcoming book perhaps of my essays on different music topics i've been trying to learn technology for making online. So those are two main things. And of course, I've been practicing piano here and there where I can and uh, where I get the the motivational energy to do so. So those are some of my main things I've been doing.
0: Mm. Well, Michael, we will indeed talk about the online concert in just a few seconds. But Teresa, what about you as a textile artist? How have you been keeping busy during the pandemic?
2: This pandemic has really brought to the forefront the fact that women's arts and sewing and having creating in the home is an important part of North American society that's often neglected. So from the very, very beginning, people were emailing me asking me to start making masks. They knew that I was involved with other charitable projects, such as Days for Girls, which makes menstrual hygiene products out of cloths so of girls in situations where they can't go to school if they have their period, can have access to something they can wash and reuse. So they knew I was involved with Days for Girls and they said, hey, can you make masks? So I jumped in. I started to captain a team. We made as a team upwards of 1,500 masks in the first part of the pandemic, and I also directed and supported other people in doing it. So that's one of the things I did. And then more recently, now that the masks are being supplied by the province and by commercial operators in great enough numbers, I have turned to a project of trash sewing, I call it. And I'm sure you're going to want to ask about that later. So I will not describe all of trash sewing from the beginning.
0: <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that. So you, you say you save your creations for the piano keys, but how has the pandemic influenced your, or do I, dare I say, creativity, or desire to come up with something new? Has it been business as usual or have you almost had to motivate yourself to create something new and something exciting?
1: Well, without an without an audience to perform for, it has been difficult to find the energy. Um, I started playing piano when I was five years old, and uh, they had a nice program in Boston uh, where I grew up in the New England Conservatory, where you were you were thrust on stage multiple times per year, even when you were five or six years old. So, yeah, it's uh, it does feel a little pointless to practice just for yourself, because for me, the the purpose of of all the work is to share it with other people at the the final result which is the concert so you know up until then i feel kind of selfish <laughs> playing music just for myself so it's a, it's a social thing for me and uh, to have that taken away by the mm. pandemic restrictions has been has been very difficult uh, psychologically my, my low point was probably in the summer and uh, i think there was even about a month and a half period where i really didn't play the piano at all but i got back into the swing of it and um have this upcoming concert on Friday February 12th we're going to do online that is really of mm-hmm. course giving me that tangible deadline that performers love to get motivated. Mm.
0: So you've got this online concert coming up on February 12th It's a Friday before we yeah. even get into the you know the who what when okay. where why how sure. tell me a little bit about the concert itself. So first of all what are you planning to play?
1: Well I've decided to play a mix of the two different types of music I play, which is classical and jazz music. Um, it'll be just myself on the piano. Again, very COVID safe. So for classical music, I play music by three of my favorite composers, which are Debussy, Bach, and Bartók. So for Debussy, I'm playing three preludes. He wrote a number of, of shortish pieces that two of my favorites have very interesting titles that are quotations from lines of Baudelaire poems, so French poetry. And then I'm playing a Bach, a long Bach piece, a six partita, which is very, very moving and consists of many different Mm -hmm. dance-influenced pieces. A really exciting piece by Béla Bartók, who's a Hungarian composer from the 20th century. And then on the jazz side, I'm playing uh, George Gershwin's fascinating rhythm, playing uh, Mm -hmm. Stevie Wonder's Do I Do is a famous, Mm -hmm. fun song from the 70s. And I'm playing two pieces that I wrote myself. So I guess you can say it's a world premiere of one piece, a tune that I wrote called Chicago Avenue, which is um, a memorial piece for George Floyd. So it's a reflection Mm -hmm. on that. And the the only other piece I'm playing is um, kind of a doozy also. There's a big classical chorus and orchestra piece called Carmina Burana. And it's been used, I think, in many movies and TV shows so people might recognize when I launch into it. But it's all based actually, on 13th century medieval secular poetry of these monks that the composer Karl Orff discovered in the 1930s. And he wrote this dramatic, <laughs> they say it's really classic. You can see why it would be used in movies if you, once you hear me play. Mm. In, a, in a nutshell, that's the program.
0: Well, Michael, don't keep us waiting. Tell us about when. So you said the concert <laughs> is on February 12th. Uh, so give us the details. Where, what time on February 12th? And how do we, how do we tune in to listen?
1: sure it's it's at seven o'clock the concert live stream will happen starting at six forty-five. so you'll need to get a link to attend um but the concert sponsor is the canadian council of the blind toronto visionary so that's the toronto chapter of this national organization that helps blind people primarily with organizing social activities so it's, it's a great niche and they they do a great job um and um, i'm i'm blind myself so I do like this organization, and you will need a link. So I put this on YouTube. Um, so it's really one of the absolute simplest um, platforms I've found. Having tried to attend other people's live stream concerts and sometimes been striking like, oh, where is it? Well, what do I have to click on to get to it? So YouTube is, is really very simple. You'll, you'll get a link, and you click on that. As long as you do it after 6.45 PM on Friday, February 12th, the music uh, will just automatically start up for you in your speakers.
0: So to get <laughs> that link, you would email Michael at ma at mapiano.com. And that concert begins at 6.45 p.m. Eastern time. So if you were tuning right. in from Vancouver, you would tune in at 3.45 your time. In Halifax, of course, mm-hmm. you're an hour ahead of Michael. So that'll be 7.45. So tell me a little bit, Michael, about the role of technology. So you're putting together this online concert and a lot of artists, musicians uh, have embraced technology at this time How was the learning curve for you as an artist who was blind? Did you find that a lot of the software and the platforms that people are using are accessible? Uh, I'm not just from a user's perspective, but I'm actually more curious about it from the point of view of someone who's putting on the concert. Did you find that those platforms were user-friendly and accessible?
1: Um, I I wouldn't say so, no. I I think it's a challenge to live stream a concert with some kind of audio quality <laughs> for musicians like myself. You know, we certainly hope that our sound doesn't get warbly and distorted, as you probably heard in some of the very early live concerts right at the beginning of the pandemic. And so, yeah, that kind of put a damper on me as, like, well, is this even worth doing? But as I saw, the pandemic was obviously going to be much longer than maybe we thought. Um, yeah, there's an open source live streaming software that musicians have been trying to learn how to use called OBS. I think it stands for Open Broadcast System. And uh, it's not it's not too complicated. So from that point of view, it's a good choice. But no, it's not it's not truly 100% accessible. My, I have a sighted assistant, and he was watching as I... Tried to navigate around the screen and it would certainly pop me into a complete skip over parts of the screen end up in some other part of the screen. And so Anyway, during the actual event, of course, I'm busy, you know, playing the piano, so I couldn't really operate the technology anyway, but um, So my assistant Sammy's going to be keeping an eye on the cameras. We're going to have two video cameras set up and uh, Yep. And the video camera screens are, of course, also not accessible. <laughs> so uh, they do actually have real buttons on these screens. Um, the one, the one that I bought by, it's confusingly, it's made by Zoom, but it's not the same Zoom company. It's a different one, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. But they're Zoom video cameras and audio recorders as well. And yeah, so setting all that up and running all the audio and video into my computer, and then that runs through the OBS software up to the internet. So yeah, it's been a pale of work for sure. But um, <laughs> well, blind people are used to needing to use technology i use technology simply to learn music since i'm totally blind and uh I, I am dependent on speech output technology to uh to learn the notes i play in the first place so um yeah I love, not love braille music <laughs> <laughs> well a lot of the pieces that i play aren't aren't really available in braille and um there's some disadvantages to braille music actually so um yeah it's good that it exists but uh it's a little awkward, particularly for a piano, where you're playing, you know, multiple notes and multiple hands mm-hmm. at the same time. And it's, it's complex. So, yeah, I use a different, different technology than Braille. But, but Braille was invented for music by Mr. Braille. So he was mm-hmm. a French pipe organist. So, yeah, it's interesting.
0: Well, I'll take your word for it, Michael. The only, the, I can only read enough Braille to make sense of the buttons on the elevator. That's the extent of Braille I know. Uh, Teresa, you know, you must have a very different experience with technology. You're not visually impaired. And uh, you've been so involved with making masks during the pandemic. And now you have the trash sewing project. Tell me a little bit about how technology has helped you put the word out about some of the work that you've done, but also to help you find um, other people that you could collaborate with on some of the projects that you've been working on during the pandemic.
2: One of the things that's been good for me is that I was already part of several Facebook groups here in Toronto devoted to helping. So I'm in groups that are devoted to zero waste, such as Zero Waste Toronto, dedicated to helping refugees and new Canadians. And I'm also a part of the physical group Creative Reuse Toronto, as well as being part of a progressive mosque in Toronto, the El Juma Circle. So when I wanted to help in the mask project, I had easy access to sources of material. Plus I had a lot of material here already in the house, I had easy access to people who were calling me saying, okay, what can I do to help? Is there something I can do? Can you put me in touch with someone? And so already being in those networks meant that I was able to communicate with them digitally. Additionally, Mm -hmm. as the pandemic went on, I learned to, at least to some degree, use the camera and my iPad to help a person understand what they needed to do if there was an area they were going wrong or if they just had a question or confusion. And now that the mask making's over, I've just been enjoying, for example, helping my neighbors learn to sew a pair of pajamas. My neighbor's kids wanted to learn to sew pajamas. And my neighbor knows, but not everything about it. It's unfortunate. We can't have them in and give them cookies and milk. So online, Mm -hmm. I was able to help them with their pajama making. And now that we've done all this work to learn how to use the cameras for this concert i'm thinking that i might start making a few videos to show people how to sew with things that otherwise would have been thrown away
1: and how do you get Mm -hmm. people have been donating um donating odd items to you that you've been sewing into different things how do do they find out about you
2: so i have started this project and i guess i should now explain what the trash sewing is (laughs) so i've been fantasizing Mm -hmm. that michael and i are going to get in a Camper van, and we're going to drive all around North America. And we're going to drive to Alaska and we're going to drive to Halifax. And we don't have a camper and we can't go anywhere because of, <laughs> you know, there's a global pandemic. But afterwards, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to do that. <laughs> so I started thinking of all the things that you want to use in a camper van, all the organizers and towels and sheets and and carpets, hot pads, everything you could use in there that was made of textiles. And there are companies who are specialized in making those kind of things for you. You can buy them, of Mm -hmm. course, at a price from these outfitting companies. I said, you know what, let me make these things as completely as I can out of trash, out of things that were definitely going into the landfill. So Mm -hmm. I advertised in several groups to say, do you have any jeans that are too worn out to donate that, you know, people won't need? And people started giving me jeans, giving me other canvas. I got some thread from a deceased estate. I mean, the thread was dirty. I had to take off the outer layers of it because it had been a garage for years. And I started making bags Um, tool organizer, napkins, wipes, paper towels or unpaper towels, as we're thinking. And people have been excited about that. I I didn't used to use Instagram, but I started putting my Mm -hmm. projects on Instagram. So now people have been following me from Europe and from Asia. And people here in Toronto have started to say, hey, can I give you something? Do you need this in your project? Do you need uh, an old sheet with a rip in it? Do you need a quilt that's coming apart? And I'm saying yes. Yes, great. Let me think about how I can use this. It's really shocking. Canadians put individually 81 pounds of tre- of textiles into the landfills every year. It seems shocking. How can they even do that? But of course, some of that is pre-consumer. All this is going into the landfill every year. And if we can do something to divert it by using it for something that benefits us, in this case, lovely potholders, for example, that really helps set an example for other people, which I'm doing through the group Creative Reuse Toronto. I'm also publicizing it on Facebook. And it also helps, of course, our economy be better if we have the embedded work And the water, cotton jeans take about 4,000 liters of water to produce each pair of cotton jeans. I'm not joking. Mm -hmm. If we can use that instead of making it waste, we can better our environment in several ways. So using technology has allowed me to learn about some of the kinds of products that I want to make by going to the websites or watching videos. So this whole trash sewing project that I've started doesn't exists without my connections and technology Hmm.
0: i feel so inspired when i talk to the both of you uh, about the trash sewing project about the online concert michael you must feel really inspired by the work that teresa does as well and of course your own endeavors uh, as an artist do you feel that there's a bigger conversation that we're missing when we talk about um, the role of the arts? A lot of what we hear about is this very gloom and doom story about how artists are being adversely affected during the pandemic. And I don't think any of us will disagree with that, but is there another conversation that needs to be had about the role of artists as change makers, as creators, as innovators, when we're all in this difficult situation and we're trying to just get by? What do you think, Michael?
1: Well, we we, we think of it as, as food that can nourish you, and it certainly nourishes us as people in the performing arts, and uh, we hope it lifts other people's spirits as well. I mean, our, our primary focus has to be to make sure we all get through this whole miserable period with the minimum number of people that pass away, and that's, that's clearly got to be our, our focus, so I'm not... I'm not one of those people about this. Uh, there's somebody on Twitter that's like uh, banging the drum in the UK for, you know, too much restriction stuff. So, no, I'm not like that. I, I definitely agree with the restrictions, but, uh, but we do. And yeah, we feel we have, we have a role to play. And um, so I'm happy to that the CCB Toronto chapter has uh, kind of provided the spark to get this event off the ground and, and out into the airwaves so that we can, enjoy it. And, and of course, it um, not having a very specific physical place has a few virtues uh, for a performing event that, um, you know, it takes away the transportation problem for people with disabilities that do have transportation problems to get to a place or a place may not be handicapped accessible. Um, and it also means you can uh, attend an event that's you know very far away from you um and actually actually my wife teresa is taking a, a as an example of that she's taking a class now at los angeles community college that's kind of a uh,
2: what's the exact name of the place um, it is los angeles trade and tech <laughs> college <laughs> so
1: they're doing one about up tailoring and again sewing oriented thing but but they would not have offered it to people who didn't live in los angeles before because everybody had to show up in person but now that they're doing it online. They decided to open the class to, to anyone. So uh, yeah, there's a few advantages to it. Of course, I'm a huge believer in the the special power of being in the same room and sharing the same energy and space. Um, so I can't wait for the pandemic to be over. But uh, as they say, next best thing.
0: Next best thing. And to tune into Michael's concert, you can always email him at ma at piano.com to get a link. The concert will stream on YouTube on Friday, February 12th at 645 is when the virtual door is open. And that is, of course, Eastern time. Teresa Rogers and Michael Arnoet, thank you very much for being on the program. It's uh, really been a lot of fun talking to you and the time has truly flown by.
1: Thanks, Joita.
2: Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: That was Michael Arnouet, who is a pianist, and Teresa Rogers, who is an African-American textile artist. They joined me to share their thoughts and perspectives about the role of the arts and the impact of the pandemic during COVID-19. Michael, as you heard, has an upcoming concert, and we'll make sure that you get the details of that on the AMI show blog as well. If you missed any of the conversation with Teresa and Michael, you can find it on the show podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. I'd like to thank Michael Arnouet and Th- Teresa Rogers for being my guests on the program. My technical produ- producer today is Sam Robinson, who is in for Nasreen abdul Majid. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI Audio and Paula denine is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay safe and uh, Uh, Have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.
1: Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.